For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Fantastical Truth has returned to life. This podcast from Lorehaven finds truth and explores the best Christian-made fantastic stories. And we apply these stories to the real world that Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord, calls us to serve. I am E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven. And I'm Zachary Russell. And for now, and probably after I'm resurrected, you can call me Zach. I mean, we're supposed to get new names, Stephen, but I... I'll probably still go by Zach. We'll see what kind of new name I get, though. If you get a new name, it's uh, the one that I think only you can know. Or is that Jesus? I forget. We need to check these things before we start. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) So those earlier scripture texts we read from come from Romans 8, 22 and 23, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 53, and 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. Those are some of the Bible's most amazing promises. So please, listener, go read them all. Zach, I'm really anticipating this new series for the podcast. I'm excited to finally get into the depths of resurrection just in time for the resurrection season. As you're listening to this, if you listened just after we released, uh, it's probably has Resurrection Sunday in the past for you. But let's make all month resurrection, especially if you're listening to this in April 2020. History will record this as a rather challenging month for basically everybody. It's a great time to be reviewing the wonderful promises that Scripture gives people who believe in Jesus Christ and love him more than their sin. We call this series Epic Resurrection. This year, Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, was on Sunday, April 12. Folks call that Easter. I'm fine with that. In this episode, I'll probably more often refer to it as Resurrection Sunday. This year, as many news reports have noted, Christians the world over are celebrating Easter slash Resurrection Sunday a little bit differently. You could even say that we are staying in our tombs. Feels a little bit like being slightly dead, not mostly dead, certainly not all dead, but we do celebrate a savior who is no longer dead in the tomb. Whether or not we can actually gather as Christ's body, the church in our local churches, the big C church is alive and well. Jesus is still moving and we still get to celebrate our living savior. Most Christians know that we celebrate our Savior Jesus, who was crucified for our sins and has died and has come back to life and lives to this day, interceding for us at the right hand of God. But do we know, do we delve into, do we imagine based on scripture what this means for us? What does resurrection mean for us? What does it mean for our world, the creation itself around us? What does it mean for our bodies? 
Look at your hand right now. If you're driving, what does that mean for that hand right there? What's going to happen to you physically, your stuff that makes you at the resurrection of the saints? And what does that glorious truth of resurrection mean for the stories that we enjoy? The podcast you're listening to right now, the book you were reading the other day, maybe even the TV show you were enjoying. That's what this series will explore. We're going to take two, possibly even three parts to explore this topic throughout the month of April. And this episode today, number 12, is part one of this epic resurrection series. And today is called, What If Jesus Promised to Redeem Not Just Our Souls, But Also Our Bodies? So, Stephen, I, I know you have a few concession stand items to tell us. What do you got? Just a few. Some uh, piping hot, sweet just made concessions here to offer at the on again, off again, Lori Van podcast feature, the concession stand. First, this series will of course be a very brief survey of the topic. Your time is limited. So are ours. And we are exploring material that's much bigger than even an episode of 30 minutes could hopefully contain in that time. We'll include lots of verses and references and books to explore the resurrection theme in the show notes. We're also going to presume that you, the listener, are familiar with at least some basic terms of Christian theology, words like soul and resurrection and the the scripture passages that we read earlier. We also know this is part of a bigger conversation about all of Jesus' promises about the end times. We're not going to get as much into the Christian disagreement about the end times. Our interest is mainly in what happens after the end times, what comes after afterlife. Furthermore, some of what we say is probably going to sound what some people would call materialistic. We're going to be talking about the material content of the human body, not the chemical makeup and all of that, but just the very idea of matter. When we emphasize that, as opposed to what happens to the uh, the inner part of our body, the soul or the spirit, we could sound like we're just talking about material as if we only believe that the material universe is all that is. That's not true. There's a spiritual dimension. God himself as father is spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Those are the two parts of God that are described as spirit, two parts. Watch the heresy, two persons of God who are described as spirit, unseen. There's that whole dimension and there's that whole spiritual part of us. However, we're going to talk about the material part, the material resurrection, and we are going to disclaim very heartily, materialism is bad. Don't be a materialist. Finally, we will strive to base any of our speculation in this series, parts one, two, and three as well on what the Bible actually says. So for our first part, we're going to talk about what does resurrection mean to us? Stephen, you you know from our previous episode when we talked about how did you become a fantastical fan that I grew up on Star Trek Next Generation late at night when I should have been in bed uh, watching in my room on volume one. And <clears throat> there was this episode with Wesley Crusher meeting a alien called The Traveler. The season one, yes? I believe so. And he came back for another episode, and I forget which season, but The Traveler had this ability to link his mind with the warp core and send them beyond warp nine. And eventually, his body disappeared, and he sort of phased into this um, non-material form of existence. And that was kind of the idea of resurrection I grew up with, that you would change from physical matter to pure energy. And I just thought, okay. And when I became a Christian, I thought, oh, that's that's what that means. We die, our spirit separates from our body, and then we just become this pure energy spirit. 
and that's not quite right. No, not in, not in scripture. Although I would say that for non-Christians and Christians alike, that belief is in the back of our heads. And I'm not sure why. If we were an apologetics podcast, we might get into where that belief comes from. Is it from Eastern religion? Is it new age? Where does it come from? Right now, I think it's just safe to say that this is an idea that's floating around. It's a meme. Everyone catches it. Non-Christians catch it. Christians catch it. That when you die, whatever resurrection means, you said it really well, Zach, the soul slash spirit separates from the body. The body goes to dust, goes away, and in the eternal scheme of things is ultimately burned along with the rest of the earth in favor of some alternate mode of existence for eternity. When I was growing up, I actually don't think that I believed this, although although many folks have that idea in the back of their heads. I think, it's hard to tell, but I think that I believe that when Jesus resurrected and promises that his people will get resurrected bodies, I think I believed that would somehow be a real body. I wasn't thinking about the body dissolving into some golden sparkles and then you head off as like a glowing white ball. I call it now a spiritoid. I, I didn't think of these glowing white balls or whatever, something beyond human comprehension floating around in heaven, communing with God, which I, I do think sometimes we think that's what it'll be like. You know, the, the cliche, the stereotype is that Christians believe that when you go to heaven, uh, you're corporeal in some way, but you're sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I, I think even even Christians who may not have great resurrection teaching know that that belief is from the far side cartoons and not actually from the Bible. Uh, when I'm I also imagine, a fan of far side. Well, yeah, far side. So. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of far side and all of that is, is to be absurd. It, when I imagine the afterlife, I kind of imagine it was like earth, but not really. I, I sort of had a kind of a flattened version of earth in the sky, but I didn't go for the clouds and harps and stuff. Lots of Christians though do. And that's why we're going to be talking about uh, specifically in this episode, the resurrection of the body and what that means that uh, Jesus has promised not only to resurrect our souls, that inner spiritual unseen part of us, but he will be resurrecting our physical bodies as well. Yeah. A book that really helped me understand this when I was a young believer was Erwin Lutzer's book, One Minute After You Die. And it goes into not just you know, the time now before Christ returns, but then after he returns and how he will give us new bodies. And it's a short book, maybe 150 pages. So that book uh, helped me have a really, a much more biblical understanding of the resurrected state. And Stephen, I know from other conversations that you have been very influenced by Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. So tell me about that. As Randy Alcorn is a Christian a pastor and author, uh, he's written lots of materials about pro-life apologetics. He's also written uh, several works of fiction as well, including some fantastical fiction. But to me, my favorite book of his is called Heaven. He wrote it in the 2000s. It's a big book, glorious hardcover, still in print, sold a bunch. And to me, I found it very readable. Alcorn hits just that sweet spot for me of biblical foundation and yet imagination. For example. Uh, you'll find that uh, he starts off some chapters with references to well-loved works of fantasy. He actually transcribes the conversation that Pippin and Gandalf have in Peter Jackson's film, The Return of the King. He transcribes their conversation, which isn't from the book, but is based on uh, Tolkien's book, uh, where Pippin is asking, I didn't think of it in this way. And then Gandalf says, and uh, death is just one path that we must take. And I'm paraphrasing heavily, but Alcorn doesn't. He transcribes that directly. And then to me, I just, I'm suddenly hearing their voices. I'm hearing Howard Shore's masterful music in my head. 
and the book just was a wonderful experience of enjoying that biblical truth and and yet engaging my imagination. Alcorn in the book Heaven challenges a notion that he calls Christoplatonism or Christoplatonism. You can pronounce it whatever you like. I think he made up the word. He uses that as kind of a catch-all term of this idea based on some interpretations of a Platonic teaching that matter doesn't matter. That is the stuff, the physical stuff that God created doesn't really matter. It's a temporary thing. Christians share this little meme that says something like, well, the body is just the container. And what really matters inside the most precious item is in the box. So the box you can throw away, but it's the soul that matters inside. That's the Yoda belief that you know luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Well, it's also the belief of fake C.S. Lewis, who uh, fake C.S. Lewis says, <laughs> you are not, uh, how does it go, Zach? It's like, you, are, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have oh, a body. Yes. Yeah, Lewis didn't actually write that. Uh, someone else did, and I think even that quote uh, has been mangled. There should be a Twitter account for fake C.S. Lewis. There probably is. And I imagine, though, the, the, the work has been outsourced to many other well-meaning folks on social media. Uh, Christians, look, we're not blaming Christians who spread around either fake C.S. Lewis quotes or uh, fake ideas about eternity or the resurrection. It uh, doesn't mean we're trying to be false teachers. We just can't help but accept notions about heaven that are not biblical. And Zach, I think that that has been enabled by a bigger idea that spreads around in, uh, in Christianity, the idea that it's somehow wrong to talk about heaven, which is such a bizarre, a bizarre notion to me that a promise that God has made that his people whom Jesus has saved and to whom Jesus has promised, I go there to prepare a place for you. Why would we not look forward to that? You can perhaps challenge the notion that it's it's wrong to, or you can say that it's wrong to imagine that outside of scripture. It definitely would be, but there's also a kind of a shutdown idea that, oh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Uh, there's the phrase like, well, we can't know what it'll be like. So best just to leave that to God, you know, as if that's a secret thing that God will keep to himself, such as exactly how the Trinity works rather than some very direct promises that God has included in the Old and New Testaments about what life will be like uh, for eternity. Zach, did you ever grow up uh, hearing those, any of those phrases, like you know, well-meaning people said? Another one, by the way, I just thought of is, only two things will last forever, human souls and God's word. Yeah, I, I, I heard that a lot. I went to a Bible church in college, and that was a pretty common saying there. It's not wrong, but it, it probably isn't the full story that we could walk away with. I mean, for example, I, I encountered a teaching of a small religious group that when I was in college that focused a lot about the new heaven and the new earth. And there was a lot of things about that that rubbed me the wrong way. We won't get into all the apologetic stuff, but it did make me go back and search my Bible for, well, what does is, what is Revelation talk about in the new heaven and new earth? And oh, there is going to be a new earth. It's not just a metaphor. There will be physically a new planet and as we will physically have new bodies. And that, um, yeah, I still remember learning that for the first time. And that teaching about new earth, and we'll get into that more in our next episodes, that actually is in the Bible. And compare, please compare everything that we're saying with what you find in the scripture. But also make sure that you're comparing the ideas that we've had, the little quotes like the ones we mentioned with scripture. Does scripture actually say, for example, oh, there will be no time in eternity? I mean, God is timeless, but does the Bible, not 
the favorite hymn or the greeting card actually say that eternity is timeless. I don't think you'll find that in scripture. What you will find in scripture is uh, is a verse like 1 Corinthians 2, 9, which is often used uh, as a, kind of that shutdown for heaven uh, study or speculation. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 in other translations is a complete sentence on its own. In the ESV, it says, quote, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, end quote. The ESV gives a tell there. It actually uh, ends that verse with an M dash, meaning finish the sentence, which kind of helped me, especially when I read it in Alcorn's book, when he described how someone came to him and said, well, I'm not sure you can write a book about heaven because uh, the apostle Paul says that, uh, hey, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared. And Alcorn said, you need to finish the sentence. You got to finish the sentence in verse 10. The apostle Paul continues, quote, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, end quote. You can't get the idea of the verse unless you finish the sentence. And in that case, you actually find it's not talking about heaven or the afterlife. Paul is talking about the fact that before the gospel was a hidden thing of God, it was secret, and now it's revealed. And on the back cover of heaven, uh, Al Alcorn says uh, directly that after reading this book, a quote, the next time you hear someone say, we can't begin to imagine what heaven will be like, you'll be able to tell them, I can, <laughs> end quote. So it's okay to imagine if the imagination is based on scripture, but it's a big assumption we make if we say, well, let's not even talk about this. Scripture never says that. And in fact, if we do say that, then we are going to be vulnerable to bad ideas about heaven, either materialistic ideas or overly spiritual ideas, when in fact, the Bible constantly and directly gives us promises about the resurrection of which uh, we can only explore a few of those in this episode. You know, it's funny that you grew up hearing that verse kind of as a clobber verse that, uh, where people would use it to say, stop speculating, because I first heard that verse in high school and young life. And my young life leader shared that with me when I first became a Christian. And his point in sharing it was basically to say, you know, the Christian life is more than you can imagine. It's more amazing than you can think. And Kind of like that other verse that says uh, he can do more than we can ask or imagine. And so his whole point was just to kind of open up my, was to open my imagination to wonder and and just think about all the joys of this new life that I had. And so it's just too bad that that verse in other contexts is used to kind of shut that down. I like that interpretation a lot better as an invitation to delight in the glories that God has revealed without, of course, being so silly as to think that now we know everything either about God's amazing hidden gospel plan or about what he has promised for resurrected saints in the new heavens and new earth. Let's talk next about how resurrection is a process ending with bodies that are made new. Well, from what I read, Zach, Jesus has promised to bring his people back to life in several different ways that take place in several different times along the human lifespan. The first is crucial. You don't get a resurrection body to last forever in a happy world without first being resurrected spiritually. This is crucial. This is not all of the gospel, but it is a part of the gospel without which you don't have any gospel. God resurrects people from spiritual death. That's how God the Holy Spirit in the Bible reveals the condition of humans who have not come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. We could not even save ourselves unless God supernaturally intervenes. And as the prophet Ezekiel recorded, God exchanges that heart of stone and gives dead 
not even zombie humans, a heart of flesh. He makes that supernatural act. Every time a person gets saved, don't buy the idea that, oh, it's salvation. That's just kind of, that's kind of cliche. It's cliche to have a salvation scene in a movie, maybe, but it is certainly not cliche to have a salvation scene in reality. That is a miracle. Anytime any person passes from death to life and now having been made alive spiritually realizes Jesus is better, more epic, more holy, more delightful than any of the fake imposters that sin gives us. From there, I would say, and and theologians might have a different way of saying this, that we move on to an ongoing resurrection process that we call sanctification. The gospel doesn't end when we pray a prayer and get saved. We live out the results of that resurrection spiritually and even the resurrection physically. We're growing to be like him as, uh, as we read in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. We are becoming more like Jesus. He is in us, interceding for us before the Father. And gradually, as we fight sin, as we join the church, as we study his word, as we share with others, we're becoming bit by bit like Jesus with a lot of steps backward for sure. But ultimately, if we are truly in him, we are driving forward to that moment when we will be fully physically resurrected. This is the big one. After Jesus returns and Christians can debate, of course, what happens when. And of course, we're kind of skipping the important interruption there. People will die. Almost everyone will die. Uh, There will be people alive, we believe, when Jesus returns. But whatever happens, when we die, we go to heaven. We do believe that people will go to an intermediate state, an in-between wonderful paradise, where there is some idea of the passage of time and a lot of other stuff we won't get into. We think that you do go there immediately after you die if you're in Jesus. But even when you're in heaven, you are waiting for more things to happen. You are waiting for the resurrection. I would capitalize that, the resurrection, at that moment in some way, which I think the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we get our bodies back. We get made new bodies, resurrected bodies, similar to how Jesus did. People in heaven are still waiting for this to happen. They are waiting to be, as the Apostle Paul says, further clothed. Uh, Their spirits or souls have been separated from their bodies, but that is unnatural. That's not how they're supposed to continue forever. That's not how God wants humans to operate. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, quote, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, interruption here, that means without a body, resuming, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, end quote. We don't stay unclothed. That wouldn't glorify God. That wouldn't honor the goodness of his original creation. And that wouldn't complete the victory that Jesus started on the cross. We're not disembodied soul spirits without bodies. Then we won't be for eternity. We are made to wear clothes and live in tents. Those are Paul's metaphors for the human body. Yeah, for now, when we die, our souls get split from our bodies. That's an effect of sin. It's not natural. Zach, we were talking earlier about how sin divides things, either the left brain from the right brain, the rational side from the creative side, but God is a whole God. He's meant to be together, and so are we. We'll be more solid at the resurrection than we were before. Our body will be like Jesus, probably different in a lot of ways, because Jesus clearly is going to reserve some powers for himself. Our references there are Romans 6, 5 and Philippians 3, 21. But for now, we groan 
and especially in a time of epidemic when we have all these worries and terrible things going around us. It's a good time to be groaning right now, folks. We are awaiting our new bodies directly from Jesus. References there, 2 Corinthians 5.2, and of course, also go back and look at Romans 8, from which we quoted at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to a time when we don't have to live in tents such as, you know, bodies that can get sick or hopefully not FEMA tents or some kind of hospital tent or uh, just live behind a mask or something, you know, because we are so afraid of of death in this current time. But, you know, to summarize your outline here about the three kind of stages of resurrection, I've heard it. I'm I'm a good Baptist. I also have a three-point outline that alliterates. We were saved by the penalty of sin. We are being saved by the power of sin, and we will be saved by the presence of sin. You know, and sin and death kind of go hand in hand in the, the the experience of our current life. But eventually, there will be no more sin and no more death. And I love your imagery and your focus on the clothing that you know that that, that God will give us perfect clothing one day. Um, I was talking to some friends just this week about. When you look at the whole story of the Bible, it starts with Adam and Eve being unclothed and unashamed, then realizing after they sin, they realize they are unclothed and they become ashamed. And then they try to cover themselves with their own clothing. God says that's inadequate. He kills an animal to give them animal skin, to give them that clothing. And then that forecasts how Jesus clothes us perfectly in our spirit. And then eventually he will clothe us with a new body. And so that that whole sequence plays out in a lot of different ways in the scripture. But there are people that suggest that our bodies are too corrupted to be redeemed. Tell me what you think about that. Well, that's related to the idea that we were talking about earlier is that the material world has been so corrupted by the human choice to sin that God can't redeem it. Now, That's the more negative aspect of that. There's also the idea that God has somehow originally made matter to be disposed of. Matter is the wrapping around the more valuable object, the soul. Uh, Once you get rid of the matter, then the soul is set free. And that sounds very spiritual. Uh, it, uh, It sounds fairly close to what the Bible says about our decaying, uh, even the references to the flesh, especially in the epistles of the Bible, can give the idea that it's not just our fleshly desire or sinful nature, as some translations render that phrase, but it's the actual flesh, the blood vessels, the skin, the muscle, all of those things that are somehow making us sin. And especially because so many of our sins are related to our bodies, it can often feel that way. I would ordinarily believe in that, except that it's just not biblical. In Romans 8, for example, the Apostle Paul is talking about how the creation itself, and he's talking about the material world, the cosmos, longs to be set free from its bondage to decay. The bondage is not to being material. It doesn't say it's bondage to matter. The being set free that Paul talks about is being set free from the decay. Those who've studied Genesis know that that is a reference to Genesis 3, where God is promising that things are going to decay, things are going to run down as a result of Adam's and Eve's sin. Another verse that's often used as an objection to the idea that our physical bodies will actually be literally resurrected is actually in 1 Corinthians 15.50. Now, Paul is rhapsodizing here, teaching about the glories of the resurrection, and yet he also uses a phrase, quote, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, end quote. 
Well, does that mean that we're going to be non-material creatures in the kingdom of God, in the eternal state? No, it's talking about our moral bodies, the decaying bodies. These bodies are affected by the decay of sin. Another verse there can be with good intention, taken out of context, is verse 44 in 1 Corinthians 15, quote, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, end quote, talking about the body, the resurrection in general. And people will read that and say, well, spiritual body, that means floating spirits. That means a spiritoid, uh, something that maybe you can't even see because it's just that spiritual folks. You know, I, I don't think people are thinking about ghosts or necessarily a fantasy or Halloween image there, but this can kind of get into our imagination and make us think in non-material terms. Doesn't spiritual body mean basically a body that's completely different from the body that you and I know today? No, not in the original language. If you read that in the original language uh, with, with an eye towards that kind of interpretation, spiritual just means powered by the spirit. We've got to get those ghost images out of our imagination. Spiritual is not an opposite to material. The human body as God originally made it is meant to be both body and spirit put together. And that's what we can anticipate at the resurrection. I like how you said we need to get rid of the how, how ghost stories have influenced our view of the resurrection. And I was even thinking, how many stories about a physical resurrection do we even see or watch or read? And you know, you mentioned zombies, and it's like, well, that's that's the big thing of zombie fiction is that oh, people physically come back to life, except they're monsters. I'm not really aware offhand of, of any fiction I've read or watched where a physical resurrection happens and it's a good thing, not to disregard all fiction, but like I said with Wesley Crusher, I kind of came away with this wrong idea of just turning into pure energy. Well, going back to Star Trek, Zach, and I cannot get into spoilers here because it would be a major spoiler for the ending of season one of the new series, Star Trek Picard. I will say that it goes closer to this topic in a way that, again, I must stay spoiler free. And when I got the spoiler before I saw the episode, I actually was rather horrified at the idea or what I thought was the idea that Star Trek was going to be moving away from the classic humanist motif in original Star Trek and uh, to a large extent throughout the next generation, despite some of those Gnostic, we're going to become energy someday uh, ideas, which is a little bit more of a cosmic humanist side. Uh, Star Trek did respect an idea that's close to biblical Christianity in that humans are meant to be mortal, that death is part of our existence right now, and that sometimes it's better to sacrifice yourself, for example, rather than doing everything to avoid death. Now, that's a biblical idea, and just the respect for human limitations is very biblical. When I thought that Picard was going to end with something that was not that, just more like a, I have surpassed the limitations of this mortal form, I got annoyed. Um, I was very happy to hear that they did not do that, although it got a little weird. It, it actually did respect the limitations of the human form. Nobody ended up getting superpowers or becoming immortal, and I was happy about that. Well, let's talk about how in our resurrected state, will there be no limits? Will we have superpowers, be able to fly? And walk through walls because that, you know, this is the top question of my five year old daughter right now. Daddy, am I going to get to fly when I get to heaven? Because she loves superhero shows uh, and she loves the idea of having superpowers. I mean, this, this kid wants to grow up to be Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel or someone. 
So talk to me about that. I'm personally against the idea of that level of upgrade. Now, people from a biblical perspective can point to Jesus and what he, as his resurrected self, was able to do. He did apparently pass through walls. He could apparate. He could appear. He could be in one place and then suddenly, just a few minutes later, be very far away. He had some kind of super power upgrade for his resurrection body that we don't see him using as much before his death. However, I think that it would be speculation to say that when we get our resurrected bodies, we're going to be just like Jesus in that way. Well, and Jesus ate, still ate food. Exactly. I always go back to that. Like that, that kind of blows me away that he wasn't, his new body still needed or accepted nourishment, however you want to look at it. And, you know, it talks about there being a wedding banquet. So we will still get to eat, which, hey, that's great. You know, I hope there's still tacos and chips and queso and brisket. I mean, I'm an unapologetic Texan. So, hey, it looks like we will get to have all that. And that's, you know, we'll get into the, more of that in when we're talking specifically about the new heavens and new earth. But that's what I read when I read about Christ's resurrection body. It seems that he is still using his supernatural abilities more like he would have even before his resurrection. We don't read about him, you know, transporting from one place to another, you know, before his death and resurrection. But could he have? Very likely. Uh, he obviously was doing miracles and working in accordance with the will of the Father. The emphasis in scripture still seems to be on the fact that being a human, being limited in our human nature is a good thing. I would say that that means that at the resurrection, we won't become omniscient. Like one of those little eternity catchphrases we have as Christians is that, well, when scripture says that, you know, we'll be, we'll fully know uh, after the resurrection, uh, that means that we'll know everything. I 100% doubt that we're going to know everything because then that would make us gods. I think that God, only God, is going to be omniscient. Not only that, that's a biblical argument. The imaginative argument is, would you really want to know everything? Would there be nothing left to know? Uh, you really would end up then being bored for all of eternity. The other far side slash Q continuum slash the good place finale notion that when you get to eternity and you're limitless and you can snap your fingers and imagine anything and you know everything, yes, heaven would be boring. God's not that cruel. He's not going to put us into an amazing paradise without any limitations whatsoever. You're not going to suddenly be in God mode throughout all the video game and therefore have no challenge whatsoever. Now, obviously, you're not going to be able to die in eternity in your resurrected body. Been there, done that. You've already cleared that stage. But will there be risk in some sense? Like, will you be able to fail doing something? If uh, Team A of Resurrected Saints is playing Team B in a sports tournament, there's got to be a loser. You're not going to hate losing. You might not find it as pleasant as winning, but it's just going to be a lesser pleasantry. It's all on that scale, though, of eternal happiness. Old Testament prophecies also talk about owning land, farming, animals, basic human stuff. I have no doubt that that will continue. And in fact, God was directly promising his old covenant people in terms of those images when he was making them look forward to that amazing paradise they would enjoy in the future. And we'll, again, we'll get into more of that in our future episode about culture and stories. Still our best example here of the ultimate resurrection is Jesus. Like you said, Zach, he ate food. He was real. And by the way, this is where the rubber meets the road. If Jesus 
being resurrected ate food, that presumably means that in some way the digestive system was still working. Just like Adam and Eve, they had working digestive systems. If that feels a little crude, well, that's God's idea to have a functioning human digestive system. I'm pretty sure that's still going to work, even in the new heavens and new earth. Controversial? Maybe. If it weirds you out, don't think about it too much. One way or another, though, Jesus is still human to this day. I used to think when I was thinking about the, you know, some of those cliches that we have as Christians, I used to think that at the ascension, Jesus somehow shed his corporeal form and then turned back into light or something like all son of God and no son of man. No, I doubt that that's happening. Jesus is still God and man to this day. How does that work? That's a mystery. And that's where we run into our limits. Even now we can't solve all of these things. The mysteries still remain for us on old earth as much as some will remain on new earth. But all of our speculations, our questions as kids, as grownups, they need to start with our accepting the fact that God has made us as limited humans. And of course, it also helps to know that we don't just get our resurrected bodies and then fly up to heaven or over to heaven in another dimension. Uh, we're not going to become the Q in the Q continuum floating around bored and then just have to make everything look like a civil war battle just for the uh, perceptions of the limited humans who get invited to the Q continuum. I think that happened in Voyager. But it does help to know the resurrected saints don't just fly off to another dimension. Physical people need a physical place to live, and that's where we will pick up with our next episode when we talk about the renewal of new earth and its combination with new heavens in the life after the afterlife. That's going to be an amazing theme to continue with. Well, just to sum up here, what I hear you saying is that humanity itself is a good thing because God created humanity. And, and obviously there is a, you know, humanism is not a good thing. And that is a, that is a belief that leads us away from the Bible. But we, we don't want to go so far as to say, well, you know, God will just put an end to humanity as we know it. And we just won't be humans anymore. We'll be some kind of spiritoid blob or that we will be angels there's an older kind of at least a victorian notion in my imagination that we, we get wings you know clarence clarence is trying to get his wings in it's a wonderful life that's a fun idea but i, I don't see that in scripture either well i can't wait to hear the rest of this so we will be back with that next time for now we're going to read some more fantastic fan feedback so this is a fantastic origin story from David H. He talks about the first book he read that turned him into a lifelong fan of fantastic fiction. He says, quote, for me, it was Tom Swift. He was like a young, early MacGyver, except sci-fi. It's all about exploration and invention. And he did it with his dad. A very family adventure, kind of like Lost in Space, end quote. By the way, I am loving the new Lost in Space on Netflix. I'm so glad they're coming back for a third season. And in fact, you know, this whole time of coronavirus, Stephen, I feel like Lost in Space has prepared me for that. I feel like we are just living in a spaceship that, you know, we get to go on limited space walks outside, but we can't dock with any other spaceships. And, you know, until we get to whatever Alpha Centauri, whatever it is we're going. And so it, I feel like it's kind of prepared us. But thank you, David, for writing us in about your first book there. And we also got this message from Kaylina about how she became a fantastical reader. She says, quote, I remember very clearly picking up my first copy of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the basement of a friend's house when I was around eight or nine. I read half the book while I was there. It was all over for me after that. 
I read the series as fast as I could, and it jump-started my lifelong passion for reading and writing fantastical fiction. If I had to put a finger on why the Chronicles of Narnia in particular left such an impression on me, I think it's because even as a child, I could locate the thread of the divine throughout and hang on to it like a lifeline. I grew up in the church and knew God's word well, but my whole life was a mess. In the instability of family dysfunction, Lewis's fiction continued that framework of truth I was beginning to understand in the Bible. I could feel safe in Narnia because I knew Aslan would make things right in the end. Life outside the wardrobe became a lot less frightening for this little girl trying to understand God's goodness in a bad world, end quote. Kaylina, that is a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Someday she's going to get to share that directly with the resurrected C.S. Lewis, by the way. Amen. And if you, our listener, would like to share your origin story of how you became a fantastical reader or any thoughts about the resurrection and the new earth, please send us your thoughts at podcast at lorehaven.com or just go to our website, lorehaven.com, and fill out our contact form. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts can be found and to the free quarterly webzine at lorehaven.com. Our new issue is out for spring 2020. You're going to love the, uh, the stories that we recommend there as part of our cover story, The Best of Christian Fantasy. In our next episode of Fantastical Truth, part two of this epic resurrection series, we will focus on the new earth side of this big theme. We're going to answer or explore the answers to the question, well, if Jesus redeems not just our souls, but our whole human bodies, where are we going to live forever and ever? Do we get whisked up to heaven or over into that other dimension where God is? Or, hint, hint, does Jesus actually promise that new heavens will touch down to new earth for an eternal union of these realms so that the dwelling of God is with man, as promised in Revelation 21? This is even more amazing stuff, and for those who love Jesus, it is absolutely life-changing. Seek his will on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus himself prayed in the Lord's Prayer, and join us for the rest of this series as we continue our eternal mission to seek and find fantastical truth.